This morning's sermon text comes from 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verses 1 through 6. Let us hear the reading of God's holy word. Therefore, having this ministry, by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. But we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word. But by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God. This is God's holy and inerrant word. When you hear the statement, how is salvation possible? What do you hear? Do you hear a question that's asking for an explanation of how God saves? Or are you hearing a question of skepticism, doubting that God could save? Or maybe you're not hearing a question at all, and you're hearing an exclamation of wonder that God would save. I'm willing to bet we've all asked that question in some form or the other. But one thing is certain. No matter how we view the question, we are all calling out to God for a response. But thanks be to God, he has responded already with a resounding yes. Salvation is possible. And the reason why is because he is a gracious and merciful God who takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked and wishes that none would perish and that all would come to repentance. So he sends out a call into the world for every man, woman, and child to repent and believe on the name of Jesus Christ. His call is a perfect call of holiness, righteousness, mercy, and love, because it comes from a holy and loving God who is willing and able to save to the uttermost. Who can remain neutral before his call of love? That's what we're going to talk about today. When God's call goes out, it's impossible to remain neutral. We're going to look into the three points about the call of God. We're going to look first at how the call goes out, how he sends the call, 
and in what way he sends the call. And the second way we're going to look at it is, the, is to look at the aspects of the call, the external call. And the third, the internal call. So let's look at our first point, at the sincerity of the call. Because when God sends out his call into the world, he's sincere about it. He's not just sending out a test or a trial into the world, but he's sending out a call for men to believe, to obey the word of the gospel and come to him. So when we look at our sermon text, it made me think of, at that moment, the philosophy of the end justifies the means. The means here that any activity is fair game as long as we get the result we're looking for. That's the philosophy of this world. The world uses any kind of means to get what they want because the end is all that matters. But this is not what the Apostle Paul is saying here in this text. Paul says in verse 1 that the means by which this ministry has come to him is by the mercy of God. Paul realizes he didn't do anything to warrant this ministry. It is only by the mercy of God that he is called into this ministry. He's indebted to God's mercy, and he's humbled to be given this ministry. So what is that ministry that he's referring to? If we looked at the text that came before it, we would see that Paul is referring to the ministry of the new covenant, which is one of righteousness and not of condemnation. It's the ministry that proclaims in the call a call for righteousness and not condemnation. As Jesus said, there is no reason. There's no reason for him to come into the world to condemn because the condemned are already condemned. So for us, we need to understand there's no reason why we need to pile on to sinners. We don't need to simply put the judgment of God to such a heavy level that we weigh them down and we pile them on with the message of condemnation. Because the gospel, the call that is going out in the gospel ministry is one of righteousness. It declares how one is made righteous through faith in Christ Jesus. Second, what Paul says, the means by which this ministry is to be done is with a persevering heart. It is to be done with a commitment not to give up. No matter the results, ministers of the gospel are not to lose heart. You can hear in Paul's words that he's making a defense as if he's being accused that there's no reason why you should continue on. You should just lose heart because it's not doing what you want it to do. The ministry is not bringing the end that you're looking for. Because what it was meant to do is call men to repentance and faith in Christ Jesus. And thirdly, Paul says, the means by which this ministry is to be performed is with sincerity. Ministers of the gospel are to remain true to the word of God. They are to show fidelity to the word of God and trust its purity and power to call sinners to the mercy of God. 
They are not to taint the teaching of the word of God so that it suits the hearer. The gospel should not be modified to be a simple self-help or get-rich message that more people would be pleased by what it says. The gospel is told to us in the word of God is the power of God to salvation. So when you mess with it, why would you add your inferior power to the sovereign power of the eternal king that declares and proclaims how he saves? And so finally, Paul says the means by which this ministry is to be lived is with integrity. The ministry is to be straightforward. The ministers of the gospel are to tell it like it is, to have it open and deliver the call with a transparency that none can doubt that the minister really believes what they want others to believe. That's what it means to have integrity. We're not just going through a program or going through a message or going through an exercise each Sunday as the ministers of the gospel stand before you and preach. We're not only just preaching to you, we're preaching to ourselves. God is speaking through his word. And we are humbled by the mercy of God that we get to perform this ministry, which is a service to God's people, to bring God's people before a holy God to worship him. That's what Paul is talking about. He's talking about that the ends, the means, and the end of the ministry, they must be pleasing to God. We cannot add anything to the ministry that God has not prescribed in his word. When we add something to the ministry that is foreign to God's word, we bring great injury to it. The ministry that Paul is talking about, it's just not relevant to Stan or I or to any ministers of the gospel. It's a call to you. It's a call to the church, that the church is to be about the ministry of the gospel. The ministry of greater hope must be a ministry pleasing to God in accordance with the word of God. All of our activities must be indicative of that end that we seek, God's glory. We want others to look at greater hope and recognize the sincerity of our ministry. We want others to hear the call of the gospel through the ministry of our church and first the preaching of the pure word of God. For we truly believe that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. And we want others to truly believe that too. But if we're not living a life of faith, trusting in the word of Christ daily, living a life adorning the gospel of Christ, then how can we expect others to take the call of, God, of the gospel seriously? Second, we want others to hear that we are really grateful for God's mercy. Are you? We don't just say it, but we live it. And we live it by not condemning others and looking upon them as if they are beneath us or that we are so somehow some better class of sinners than they are. Listen to that. 
When we look down upon others because of their sin or because of the things that they're not doing right in life, you're basically saying, well, I am a sinner, but I'm not a bad sinner like you. I'm a higher class sinner, and you're a lower class sinner. Seems like an oxymoron, doesn't it? And so we want to have that call. We want to have that message in our life that proclaims the mercy of God. Because we want others to hear in our lives the call of a merciful Savior who showed us mercy. If others do not believe that we have heard the call of God's mercy, then why would they think that we are sincere? Finally, we want others to hear the call of freedom. Because that freedom is found in the gospel. Have you been set free from the bondage of your sin? Are you still living a life in servitude to sin? Or are you living a life in love and obedience to God? Are you gaining victories over your addictions, over your angers, over your lust, over your indifferences, your boredom with the life that God has provided you, over your unfaithfulness? If you're gaining victories, then you're experiencing the freedom that you have been called to. Praise God. But if you're living a life of deception, just playing the part of a Christian, living a life of hypocrisy, of elitism, of dissension and bitterness, then why would others ever think that the gospel life is better than the life they're currently living? We must always be aware that God is sending out the call of his salvation through the ministry of the gospel. And this ministry is through the word preached and through the word lived. Don't just hear God's word. Go live God's word. Don't just come in on a Sunday morning and hear what we have to say, that God has to say through unworthy vessels like us to bring forth the message. But take in the word of God. Take it in as if you know this is the word of God. This is God pronouncing his love and his mercy to you to go live the freedom, to go live the, the, the merit of the call in which you have been called to. And so do we want a church to have that type of ministry? I think we all do. I think in this church we have that ministry. And if we're going to be a thriving church, fruitful, faithful to Christ, and calling sinners to him, then we must continue that type of ministry. By God's grace, we will. Now let's look at our second point, the external call. When we're speaking about the effectual call of God, we must make a distinction between the external call and the internal call. This external call... Its characteristics, its traits, is that it's general. It's indiscriminate. It goes out in a general way through the ministry of the gospel. It's a general invitation for sinners to come to Christ for salvation and for sinners who are dying in their sin to look up and see the mercy of God in the Son that is lifted up for their salvation. 
There are many examples in the word of God of the external call in the Bible. In Numbers 21, we have the account of the bronze serpent. The bronze serpent. The people of God, the Israelites, had had been out in the wilderness and they started to murmur and complain to God about their condition. So God got angry with them and sent serpents into the camp. And the serpents went into the camp and they bit people and people died. And so those that were seeing what was going on, go to Moses and say, go speak to God. Ask him for mercy. And the way that God responds is he tells Moses is go build a bronze pole and put upon it a bronze snake and put it before the people, all the people, not simply the people who believe, but all the people who were going to be in that condition. So the bronze snake is to stand there before the people, and if they're bit by a serpent, if they look up, then they'll be saved. Jesus takes on that bronze serpent motif in John chapter 3, verses 14 through 16. He says this. He says, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Jesus Christ has been lifted upon the cross before the world so that everyone could look at their sin, look at the consequence of their sin. The people who looked at the bronze serpent in the wilderness who sinned against God, God said, here's your sin. Do you believe that you have sinned against me? Because believing that you have sinned against the holy God by his grace, you'll turn to him and repent and believe. And so Jesus Christ says, when the Son of Man is lifted up, that's what will be taking place. Exactly what took place in the wilderness with Moses and the children of Israel will be taking place in the Son of Man. And here that message comes before the most famous verse in the Bible. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whosoever believeth on him should not perish, but have everlasting life. All those who have been bit with the sting of sin, all of us, will you look up to Christ? That's what the external call is saying to us. And that external call, the way that it goes out, is ordinarily through the preaching of the word of God. But the preacher can only throw out the seed. How it is planted depends upon the heart of the hearer and how it has been prepared. The preacher is powerless to change the heart of the hearer. That's the frustration. When we preach, when we speak the word of God, we cannot reach into your heart and wake it up and say, live. We don't have the power to do that. All that we can do is go and read the parable of the soil, the parable of the sower, And when the seeds go out, they're going to fall upon a type of soil. And that soil is going to receive the seed. And there's only one, only one type of soil, the one that's been cumbered, that's been prepared to receive the seed that will take deep roots and bear fruit. 
So the preacher comes to that frustration and the external call that they can't do anything to make those who are hearing what they have to say believe. In fact, we don't even know who will believe. But we are told that we are to deliver the call to all. And so we cannot make the one who is invited come. Jesus spoke about that very fact in the parable of the great banquet. Of the great banquet. Here there was one that was preparing a great feast. And he sent his servants after the feast was ready. He sent his servants to go invite those that probably were close to him and say, come and celebrate with me in the feast. And they came up with all kind of excuses of why they could not come. And how did the master respond? He told the servants, go out into the roads, go out into the highways, go out into the lanes, call the sick, call the afflicted, and tell them to come. And when they came, there was still more room. And the master told the servants, go back out to the highways, out into the hedges, and call others to come. And all who hear the invitation and come are welcome to come. That's the external call of the gospel. And so the main difference between the external call and the internal call is that the external call can be resisted and ultimately not received. This is the reason why Paul spoke about not losing heart. Because there he knew it could be discouraging, frustrating, and perplexing to call sinners for salvation. And they reject the invitation. It would be easy to lose heart in these times. Because watching someone perish is heartbreaking. Especially when you feel so powerless in helping someone. Has anybody seen that video or read that story about the young boy that graduated from high school that jumped off the boat into the Bahamas. And he was on a, a cruise in the Bahamas and he jumped into the ocean on a dare. He decided, I'm going to jump into the ocean. The people that were on that boat threw him a lifesaver ring and called out to him and said, go grab the lifesaver ring. Go grab the lifesaver ring. What, for some reason, he went the opposite way. And when he turned away from the lifesaver ring and swam away, he was perishing. He perished. But the moment that he jumped, he was already in a state of perishing. The people that were on the boat were calling out to him to grab the ring. You could hear the desperation in it. You could hear the desperation in their voice. That's what's taking place in the external call. When people refuse to hear that Jesus Christ has been lifted up to them because of their sin. Will you look up? You're dying of sin. The poison is running through your body. Will you look up? Because God is calling you. And Paul offers an explanation why some would not receive his gospel, although it was out in the open. We remember... Paul made a point of saying that the gospel needed to be open. It needed to be transparent. But now he's saying that if the gospel is veiled, it's veiled to them who are lost, to them who are perishing. And what Paul is saying in that verse is that the gospel is hidden. The gospel is hidden. And the reason why the gospel is hidden is because Satan has blinded their minds 
to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. So let's say a few things about Satan real quick. Because sometimes we ignore Satan and we doubt his existence. So the first thing we need to know, Satan is real. The New Testament mentions Satan over 65 times. Over 65 times. Second, he's not on par with God. He's not another God that is parallel to the eternal God. He is a creature. He's called a God of this world because he's been given dominion. He's been given dominion to exercise it over this world, over all the kingdoms and all of the systems of the world that are against our Christ. Third, he's an enemy to God, a true enemy to God, and he opposes Christ. Fourth, he is not omnipresent, meaning that he can't be everywhere at all times like God. But he does have legions of demons that will follow his wishes. And fifth, Satan. This is the one we need to pay attention to. Satan does affect the heart and mind of unbelievers. And he also continues to harass and trouble believers. And finally, Satan and his demons, this is the most important one, have been defeated at the cross. And their end is set. They have a place waiting for them in the lake of fire. And so the mental capacity of what Paul is saying here, he's saying that the mental capacity of unbelievers is affected by Satan. Think Judas. Judas. Satan entered into the heart of Judas that he would betray the Savior. And so here he he affects the heart of unbelievers and covers that. They put a veil, if you will, upon their eyes that they can't see the glory of God. And so Satan is wanting to hinder the gospel by affecting the mind and heart. And sadly, he can do just that by hindering the receiving of the external call of the gospel. Satan's at work to do that. Satan's not only at work to hinder unbelievers from seeing the glory and the progress of the gospel, Satan is at work to hinder believers of the work and the glory of the gospel. And so we have to ask ourselves, how do we guard our heart and mind from Satan? Do we avail ourselves of the Christian armor found in Ephesians 6? We're told that we are to put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand the schemes of the devil. That's reality. That's what the Christian warfare is all about, is knowing that we got a foe and an enemy that's going to be attacking us at every corner when we try to do the ministry of the gospel. Or when, if we are not those who have come to faith, If we don't believe in Christ Jesus, then Satan doesn't want to lose you. Satan doesn't want to give you up to God. And the place that the people of God can go for refuge and protection is right here in the church. What we're going to do today is the way you get nurtured and you get strengthened for the fight. You receive the body of Christ Jesus. You receive the means by which Christ has delivered you from sin 
from the sign, the sacrament, the sign that will show you how you are delivered from your sin. So when Satan says he's a sinner, he deserves to die, he needs to be condemned, and you can say it's the blood of Christ. I feed upon the blood of Christ. I eat of the living bread, and I have eternal life because my Savior has invited me to his table. Will you hear his call today? Will you come to Christ? And so that brings us to our third point, the internal call. Paul, in verse 6, describes the effectual call of God that speaks the light into the dark heart of the sinner. This call, this internal call, is distinguishable from the external, external call, but very closely related. For this call is particular and effectual. And what we mean by particular is that it's only for those whom God chooses to call. It's his sovereign right. It's his sovereign right to call those to the feast. It's his sovereign right. Will we bow down to his sovereignty at this moment? And it's effectual meaning, and my teens were in here, they would know that answer, right? Meaning that it will bring about the desired result. It just won't make something happen. But it's something that God purposed will happen. A desired result. And the power of this call is that it cannot be resisted. Without this call, there is no possibility of salvation. There is no believing the gospel without the eternal call of God's sovereign grace. Notice... At the front of your bulletin, there was a quote from Calvin. Calvin kind of described it in this way, and I think it's very fitting. He was a smart theologian. We should listen to him. But it says here that there, in the gospel, God stretches out his hand to all alike. There's the external call. But he only grasps those in such a way as to lead them to himself. There's the internal call. He grasped those whom he has chosen before the foundation of the world. And notice the way that he calls us through the gospel. Through the gospel. The spirit works by the word of Christ and opens our heart, opens our eyes to the beauty of Christ to see that we're embracing Christ because he embraced us. He has put, reached out his hands to us and where we're down in the water perishing, he reaches out with his hand and he grabs us and pulls us in. That's the beauty of the power of Christ, the effectual call. So let me illustrate what we mean by the effectual call. If I or any other preacher or you stood out into the graveyard and preached to the dead, preached to everyone that was in the grave, the graves would most likely remain closed and there would be no effect upon the bodies that are decomposing in the ground. But now let's consider Jesus and Lazarus. Lazarus was a friend of Jesus. He died. And after a few days, Jesus goes to the tomb of Lazarus 
He stands before the tomb and he says, Lazarus, come forth. And what happens from that call that Christ gave to a dead man inside of the tomb? A man in his grave clothes comes out of the grave. There we see the desired result. Christ was not standing before the tomb in a vain way calling out as if nothing was going to happen. He was standing before the tomb, calling out in an effectual way, in a way that would bring a desired result. You see, the call that Christ made is is both external. It came from the outside, but there it was received into a dead man and made him alive made him alive that he would come forth. And notice the particularity of the call. Jesus doesn't simply say, come forth. I have to think if he was standing before the graveyard and by his command he said, come forth, not only Lazarus would have came forth, but every dead person that was in the grave would have came forth. But Jesus calls him by name. Because the internal call is a particular call. If you are a child of God, he calls you by name. He calls you by name. And so we see that call is effectual. And so after seeing the ability of Satan to hinder the minds, to hinder the external call, we have to wonder Who could be saved? Can anyone be saved? Because Satan is against us. Our dead estate is against us. And the world is against us. Because until you're made alive by the power of God, you don't have eyes to see Christ. You don't have ears to see Christ. You don't have the life to come to Christ. Christ must call you. He must give you the power. There is a power that is working within you. The Holy Spirit is going to give you a new life. Stan will talk about that next week. He will t- it will show the great relationship between the effectual call and regeneration. But the call has to come from within if we are going to go to Christ. Because Christ must come to us. So because these forces that are against us, the world, the flesh, Satan, they want to keep us from having faith in Christ. But here in this text, it's told to us that the God that brought forth light out of darkness by the power of his word on the first day of creation is the same God who has made us a new creation. By shining the light of his glory into the darkness of our sinful hearts. We no longer cry out for the protection from the glory of God. And what that's referring to is that when Moses went and he spoke to God. And he came out to the people. His face shone. It shined with the glory of God. And the people said, please put a veil over your face. We can't stand To look at the glory of God. We can't stand to look at that presence of God. It's fearful to us. 
And so now this word that Paul is saying here is that we no longer cry out for protection from the glory of God like the people of Israel did when Moses' face shone bright after speaking with God, but we rejoice to see the light of God's glory that shines in the blessed face of our dear Lord Jesus Christ. Unbelievers want their eyes veiled so they can't see that glory. Believers want to come before God and see him face to face. And the only way that a man can see God face to face is in the face of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's an amazing thing that anyone could be saved. But grace is powerful. It's life-giving. So I have to ask, will you this day, I have to ask myself, will I harden my heart as in the day of provocation? Will I humble myself before the grace of God and believe that he can deliver me? That he can deliver you? Will you come to the Lord who is able to save you? The external call, the Lord Jesus Christ, is lifted up before the world. Do you know you're a sinner? Then God has put the sign of his promise before you that he is willing and he's able to save you. And if he's willing and able to save you, then he will call you. He has predestined those whom he has called. He is calling a, by a purpose to bring people unto him. It's a powerful call. It's an effectual call. It's a particular call. May God be pleased with our message today.